taken from the ESV version, and that's found on page 1,203 in your pew Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there are some located directly underneath you in the pew racks. Again, that's Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 14 through chapter 11, verse 7. And it reads, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant, a chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel fa failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. This is the perfect, eternal word of God. Gentlemen, if you would please, uh, this morning uh, we have a handout that is going to be distributed. Uh, for those of you who are uh, new to our church, this is not uh, commonplace that I use handouts in the morning worship service, but uh, this morning we have an awful lot of material, a lot of verses, and I thought that the handouts would help you stay with me uh, so that uh, you can be abreast of what's taking place. It also gives you a sense of what takes place in my Sunday school class at least and also in our evening service where I normally use handouts in both uh, Sunday school and evening service but uh, not morning worship but today we will uh, for we have an awful lot of material uh, to look at but I trust it will be of benefit to you. I'm also mindful that there is a lot of material here. We may have to edit as we go. We will see. Uh, it also lets me uh, speak a little faster, because if you can't 
understand what I say, you can look down and see what is on the page. So uh, that way I get just a little more time. We're just waiting for these last few uh, to be disseminated. Everybody have a handout. If you need one, if you raise your hand, the gentleman will provide you with one. Everyone? Okay. So this morning, the question is, what's the answer? Introduction. What the answer depends, of course, on what the question is. This morning is, does the fact that not everyone believes the gospel somehow render the gospel ineffectual? Is there something wrong with the gospel when we think about the fact that not everyone accepts and submits themselves to the gospel. Well, we're in a passage of scripture this morning that addresses why not all the Jewish people believe the gospel. The application is broader, of course, as we think about all people, the answer is the same, but as we think about the Jewish people in particular, uh, as we think of them as God's chosen people, as it were, uh, why didn't they all believe the gospel when they heard it? If you would uh, just bear with me in a quick review, uh, for we're in the middle of a lengthy section that started in Romans chapter 9. In uh, Romans chapter 9, Paul expressed his desire that all his fellow Jews would be saved. Paul, in fact, was willing to give his own soul so that they would be saved, Romans 9.3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. What an incredible statement that Paul said, I'd be willing to give up my own soul in order to see my, my fellow Jews, my brothers according to the flesh, be saved. And we emphasized back then that that was not hyperbole. That was not exaggeration. For Paul said, uh, the Holy Spirit bears witness to me. Uh, I lie not. I tell the truth. Uh, this was his desire. Paul goes on to say that uh, he had prayed for the salvation of the Jewish people. Romans 10.1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel that they would be saved. And these Jewish people... That is the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had many spiritual advantages. They are alluded to in Romans 9, 4 and following. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So the Jewish people had many advantages as opposed to the nations round about them in terms of what they knew about God. And despite all these religious advantages, many of them did not place their faith in God in a saving way. <clears throat> now, an explanation of that is, first of all, however, the promise to be saved did not extend to every physical descendant of Abraham or Isaac. Romans 9, 6. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. That is a very, very important line in Romans 9, 10, and 11. That's something to circle, asterisk. You don't want to lose that, that not all Israel belongs to Israel. 
that there is a subset of true Israel, but not everyone. What, what's the matter? All right. I am told that uh, a lot of the handouts are missing the even-numbered pages. So if that is true of you, we are sorry. Uh, just a disclaimer. This week, <laughs> the photocopier failed. And uh, so, uh, Brother uh, Pastor Dave... Uh, Printed a lot of these out on, an, uh, on a laser jet printer uh, by hand, which took a lot of time. Thank you, but uh, somehow, I don't know if th those are yours or those are the photocopiers. All right, but we are sorry for those of you who don't have the even number pages. Uh, moving on, okay. <clears throat> Romans 9, 7 and following. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Three weeks ago, we considered the fact that in order to be saved, one must believe the gospel. Two weeks ago, we considered the responsibility that we have to share the gospel with all people so they'll be saved. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from a hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Today the issue is, well, what about those people who have heard but do not believe? Does that make the gospel ineffectual? Because we said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, if that is true, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, what about those people who hear and don't believe? Does that mean that somehow the gospel is ineffectual? Theme, if faith comes by hearing, why didn't all the Israelites submit to the gospel? Why didn't they repent and believe when they heard? There are a series of questions in our text to derive an answer to the question as to why didn't all the Israelites submit to the gospel. The first is found in Romans 10, 18. But I ask then, have they not heard? Romans 10, 19. I'm now on an odd page, so you can catch up with me there. <clears throat> Romans 10, 19. But I did ask. Does my correspond with yours? Is that the top of page three? Okay. <clears throat> but I asked, did not Israel understand? And then Romans 11. I asked then, has God rejected his people? So these are the three questions in the text that we're going to look at this morning. The first why didn't all the Israelites submit to the gospel? Was it because not all the Israelites heard the gospel? The answer is no. No, that's not the answer. He says, but I ask, have they not heard? A, Isaiah said that the Israelites heard the gospel. Romans 10, 16, but they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard? What he has heard. So they have heard. B, Isaiah, for one, had shared the gospel with the nation of Israel. Notice the end of verse 16, heard from us. So Isaiah says, not only did they hear, they heard from me. This is a quote from Isaiah 53, where Isaiah laments the fact that so few believed what Isaiah had said concerning the Messiah. Isaiah 53, 1, who has believed what he has heard from me? 
the reality is that the majority did not believe what they heard. They heard. So one cannot blame the Israelites' failure to obey the gospel on their not hearing the gospel. Application, number one, not everyone who hears the gospel will believe the gospel. Two, that does not mean the gospel is ineffectual. Three, we cannot expect that everyone who hears the gospel will believe. All right? Moving on. Number two. Sorry for those of you who don't have it. Just out of curiosity, how many do have it? Oh, wow, that's good. How many people don't have it? So the vast majority do. All right? Those of you who don't, you're second-class citizens. All right? <laughs> we did that because we don't like you. No. No. We, we are sorry. All right, we're, we're sorry. But I, I'm glad many of you have page four. All right. Number two. Why didn't all the Israelites submit to the gospel? Was it because not all the Israelites understood the gospel? Again, the answer is no. Romans 10, 19, but I ask, did Israel not understand? A, no, the Israelites prided themselves in their understanding of the word of God. The Israelites viewed the Gentiles as foolish, for the Gentiles did not have the word of God. Romans 10, 19. But I ask, did not Israel understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation will I make you angry. A foolish nation. The Israelites prided themselves in their understanding of the word of God. They were confident of their relationship to God. Going back to Romans 2.17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, they were taught the word of God. Romans 2.18. And know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. They were taught the word of God. See, they were confident they were ready to teach others. Romans 2, 19 and 20. And if you are sure that you are self a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, this is why it says in Romans 10, 19, a foolish nation. They viewed the Gentiles, you're foolish. We have the word of God. You don't. We understand. You don't. The whole point here is they prided themselves in not only having the word of God, but they said, we get it. We understand it. We've been instructed in it. We know God's word. They were confident that they were ready to teach others. <clears throat> the end of verse 19 under C, a teacher of children having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. What an arrogant statement. They were the very embodiment. They, they walked around with the knowledge of the truth. That's how confident they were. Nevertheless, they did not follow their own teaching. Verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing, do you steal? No, the Israelites understood the gospel because they were furnished with the prophets who explained and applied the word of God to them. Isaiah, for one, took the gospel to the Israelites. Romans 10, 20. Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been... 
found by those who do not seek me. I have shown myself to those who do not ask of me. Isaiah faithfully presented the gospel message. But of Israel, he says, all day long, all day long. It's a statement of the faithfulness of Isaiah from morning to night. He was preaching the gospel, day in and day out. They heard. They understood. Thirdly, Isaiah had personally reached out to them, as it were. But he says of Israel all day long, I have held out my hands. Uh, the imagery, I have reached out. I, 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 have, I have begged you to believe. I have yearned for you to believe. I have done everything in my power to bring you to faith, is the point. No, it wasn't that they hadn't heard, and it wasn't that they didn't understand. The issue was that they stubbornly refused to submit to the gospel. Stubbornly refused to submit to the gospel. Their wicked stubbornness is manifested in four ways. First, they were disobedient to the calls to acknowledge their sin and repent. Romans 10.21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient people. All right? You were disobedient. You refused to obey the word of God. When we think about the gospel, oftentimes we think about the gospel as an invitation. Uh, that this is an, an invitation for people to be saved. But in reality, the gospel is not an invitation, it's a command to repent and to believe. It is our duty to accept the gospel message of what God has given to us. But they were disobedient. Acts 17.30, the times of God's of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. As we think of the gospel, it is mankind's responsibility to acknowledge our sinfulness. To say, yes, we are sinners. We are in need of a Savior. We are in need of someone to take away our sins. And it is disobedience when anyone fails to accept the reality of their own sinfulness. To accept that they need a Savior. It is, it is disobedience to say, I don't need that. I don't want that. Number two, they argued against the truth that they had heard. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient, and now these words, contrary people. So not only were they disobedient, but they were contrary. They went against what God's truth said. They argued with the prophets. You know, so many people, when they hear the gospel, rather than submit, they want to argue with the gospel. They want to argue with the truth of God's word. But what about this? But what about that? But how can we really know? And all the man-made arguments that come up. Thirdly, they not only rejected the message, but also shot the messenger. Uh, you know, you've heard that old adage, you know, uh, don't shoot the messenger. Well, they did, Romans 11.3. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They were so antagonistic to the word of God that, first of all, they were disobedient to it. 
Secondly, they argued against it. And then third, they literally did kill the prophets. They wanted to shut them up personally, uh, permanently. They put them out of their misery. Uh, they silenced them. They intimidated them. They rejected them. And then number four, if that wasn't bad enough, they not only did away the messengers, but they did away with any witness to the truth. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. Those places of sacrifice. They took sledgehammers to them. They demolished them. They did away with the offering of sacrifices. They took away any opportunity for their children to hear and understand the truth. They had totally rejected and refuted and dismissed God's call under salvation. And we need to realize how much of that is so true in our own day. We need to understand that when people hear the gospel, that there are many that, first of all, just refuse to accept its message based on the very premise that they are in need of a savior, uh, that, that they're not good enough, that their own life does not accept, or that they reject the plan of salvation that God sent his son to die on the cross, and they're looking for some other means of salvation. So they reject it. They dismiss it. But not only that, they fight against it. They argue against it. Uh, they come up with all kinds of alternate explanations of uh, salvation or deny the existence of God or deny the existence of heaven and hell, whatever the case may be. But not only that, but then they try to shut up those that would be preaching and teaching the gospel, they, they, they distance themselves from it. Okay? And there are places around this world where there is literal persecution in which those that are proclaiming the gospel are placed in prison. And some are dying. There are a lot of places around the face of this earth where it's illegal to try to convert people to Christianity. And then lastly, they have destroyed the altars. That They have done away with all kinds of religious practices. Uh, all kinds of anything that bears witness to the truth. Uh, and again, uh, we see uh, even in this country, more and more uh, areas are zoning out churches. That, uh, they're, they're zoning laws uh, won't allow churches to be built in uh, certain areas of our country today. Uh, and uh, churches are closing. And uh, people are, are wanting to rid themselves of the, of the history of the church. Uh, don't want to teach about uh, the founding of our, of our country and, and what role the Christian faith uh, had in uh, the founding of our country. Application. Number one. Not everyone who understands the gospel will believe and submit to the gospel. In fact, some will actively oppose the gospel. Number three, it must be realized that faith is not just a matter of understanding, but submission. I've been using the word believe in association with the gospel. Our text is using the word obey the gospel. Um, 
I think that many people are under the false understanding that when people don't believe the gospel, it's simply because they don't understand it well enough. All we have to do is explain it better. All we have to do is make it more clear. All we have to do is somehow make it a little more desirable, and of course they're going to accept it. No, that's, that's not it. It isn't that they don't understand. You can draw all the crosses. You can do all the analogies. You can do all the metaphors. You can tell all the stories. And when it's all said and done, they're still not going to believe because it's not that they don't understand. Five. Uh, no, excuse me, four. It is driving home the point that the person who rejects the gospel is doing so out of a heart of rebellion towards God. It is not that they can't believe as a result of inadequate information. It's a matter of the heart and refusing to take responsibility for their sinfulness. It's, that they can't, it's not that they can't, it's they won't believe. Number five, we should make the gospel as clear, simple, understandable as possible. In addition, we should demonstrate evidence for the truthfulness of the gospel. But when people obstinately refuse to believe, it is not just a matter of making the gospel still clear or finding even more persuasive arguments. Six, often when people reject the gospel, they become adamantly opposed to the gospel and those who present it. They seek to abolish any structures that bear witness to the truth. Uh, we need to not take personally some of the fallout that comes to us as a believer as a result of the gospel. It isn't that people don't like us. because they don't like the gospel. And in not liking the gospel, they end up not liking us. But you know, people have the impression that you know, if we were just really, really kind, people would flock to the gospel. If we were just really gracious, people would flock to the gospel. If we would just reach out and, and, and do more things for people, they would respond to the gospel, right? If they just had a little more proof, then the gospel would just flourish and everyone would come to the faith. Let me ask you, who was more gracious than Jesus? Who was kinder than Jesus? Who reached out to people more than Jesus? Who turned the other cheek more than Jesus? Who provided the world with evidences of faith more than Jesus? Who did more for people than Jesus, who healed their diseases, who fed them, who did all kinds of gracious works. And what happens? He ends up on a cross with the multitudes crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It was the wickedness of their hearts. It was not on the failure of Jesus to do that which is necessary for people to believe. It's not just a matter of being more gracious. Should we be gracious? Of course. It's not just a matter of being kind. Should we be kind? Of course. It's not just a matter of doing more things for our neighbor. Should we do things for our neighbor? Of course. 
But those are not the determinative factors that result in a person's coming to faith. It's the point of the text. So number three, why didn't all the Israelites submit to the gospel? Was it because God had rejected the Israelites that belonged to him? And the answer is no. Romans 11.1, 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? A, did God's promise to his own fail and the Jews' chosen people? Those of you that only have the odd, you're on, okay? We're on page seven. Romans 11.1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. We're talking about the Israelites here primarily. And we're still working with this question that goes all the way back to Romans chapter 9, and that is, why aren't all Israelites saved? And the answer is because not every Israelite is a true Israelite. Not everyone is a descendant of Abraham. The promise was not to the physical seed. It was to the spiritual seed. So B, God did not reject his own, illustrated in the person of Paul. The point is that God did not reject all Israelites, for Paul is an Israelite and he is not rejected. Romans 11.1. I asked then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I, that's Paul speaking, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And I'm saved. So he hasn't rejected his people. C. God has not rejected those who are truly his own. His own are the elect. Romans 11.2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. That's the point. God did not reject the people whom he foreknew, which are the elect, which goes all the way back to Romans 8. That's why we're doing this handout, because all of these things build on each other. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. <clears throat> Romans 8, 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Just rehearsing, going back to foreknow here means to be foreloved. They were loved before the foundation of the earth. God made a choice. He said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. I'm not going to go back and review all of that, but the point was, in this text, there are a people that belong unto God. He made a promise to save not every single Israelite. Not every single descendant of Abraham, Isaac, or even Jacob. D, there is a part of the larger Israel, the physical descendants of Isaac, who are the true Israel, those who are the recipients of God's promise. Romans 11, 4 and 5. But what is God's reply to them? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, so too at the present time there is a remnant. It's the illustration in the time of the prophet, Elijah. And at the time, there was a remnant. There was a small group. Remember, a remnant, those of you who are seamstresses and tailors, the remnant is the small part of the bolt of cloth. It's the remaining part. And 
There was a remnant in Israel that believed. So too there is a remnant, Paul says today. There is a, a small group among all the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that believe. Romans 11.6, but it is by grace. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So the answer is, why didn't all the Israelites submit to the gospel? Well then, what is the answer? Romans 11.7, what then? You see, what, what are we to conclude? A, the elect were saved. God graciously brings them to faith through the word of God. Romans 11.7, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. The elect obtained it, all right? Uh, those chosen by God are saved. Romans 11.5, so too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. So out of grace, God chooses a people to be saved. B, the rest were hardened. That is, they continued in their obstinate rebellion and rejection of the word of God. Romans eleven seven. What then? Israel failed to obtain while it was seeking. The elect obtained it. The rest were hardened. They just continued on in their obstinacy, in their refutation of the truth, of their opposing the prophets, of their destruction of their religious heritage. That's the explanation. That's the explanation of why some believe and, and some don't. It's the choice of God. So here's the concluding application. A. There are many evangelicals that view the nation of Israel as a chosen people in the same way that many of the Jews did. That is, that the nation of Israel is to be understood as all the physical descendants of Abraham and Isaac. You may think none of this has relevance for us today as we're talking about Israel. What does that got to do with anything about us? We're Gentiles. We don't live in this time period. What does this got to do with us? Well, the answer is that many evangelicals read the Old Testament the same way that the Pharisees read the Old Testament. B, the false understanding of God's promise to the Jewish people has significant ramifications. The first significant ramification, I didn't list here. <clears throat> the first significant ramification is even how we view Israel today in terms of even our policy, even in terms of our foreign policy, okay? There are a lot of people that view the nation of Israel in the Mideast as God's chosen people because they're physical descendants of Abraham. And so they have promises that belong to them as the physical descendants of Abraham. They have a unique relationship, and we have an obedience and responsibility to them, and it matters not what they do. We support them no matter what their decisions are, etc., because they are God's chosen people. Except not every Israelite is a part of God's chosen people. Those that truly believe and have a relationship to Jesus Christ are the children of the promise. Those that don't are not the children of the promise. Moving on. Number one, this view affects our understanding of the role of Israel in the future. 
Romans 11.26. Again, an extremely important verse, theologically. Romans 11.26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. There is a lot of theology that hinges on Romans 11.26. All Israel will be saved. That becomes foundational to a lot of people about a time future in which every single physical descendant of Abraham is going to be saved and God's going to do a work with the nation and there's a whole theological construct that is built on the concept of Israel being the chosen people of God and finally in the future one day the promises of God to them are going to be fulfilled. Except the whole argument of Romans 9, 10, and 11 is that the promises are not to every single physical descendant of Abraham. The promises are to the true people of God, that is the people who believe and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The difference of that is going to lead you in a lot of different directions. All right? So, back to your handout. I'm sorry for those that you don't have this. Romans 11.26 must be understood in light of all that comes before it. Romans 9.6 But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all Israel, excuse me, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are offspring. 1126 is a conclusion to this whole discussion. So when it says all Israel will be saved, you can't forget what Romans 11, excuse me, what Romans 9, 6 says, and that is not all Israel is Israel. So all true Israel will be saved. That's the whole point of chapter 10. Why didn't they all believe? Because they weren't all chosen. They weren't all the chosen people in that that sense. Top page nine. This view affects our understanding of the unfulfilled promises of God. Again, there are those that have the theological bent that every physical descendant of Abraham is an Israelite and that every single physical descendant of Abraham is eventually going to come to faith. Therefore, they read and they say there are a lot of unfulfilled promises in the word of God to the nation of Israel. Romans 9 says it's not as though those promises failed. It isn't as though there are all these promises hanging out there. They are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and what he is doing for them and the blessing that he is, all right, to those that place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Enough for the theology of prophecy. Enough on these uh, promises. Let's look at other applications for us and the gospel. C. Understanding the doctrine of elections helps us to understand that the gospel is not 
ineffectual when some fail to believe. Number one, faith comes by hearing. Hearing the gospel provides the power to believe. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So in the gospel itself is the power to save. This gospel, this word, is powerful enough that it brings people to faith. Verse 17 of chapter 10, so faith comes by hearing. A, without hearing, people will not believe. B, however, not everyone hears will believe. You understand the distinction? There is no one who will believe without hearing. But just because you hear doesn't necessarily mean you'll believe. D, we should not seek an alternative method of reaching those who fail to believe the gospel that they have heard. Number one, there is no more effectual means of reaching the lost than in giving them the gospel that is the word of God. You see, there are today a lot of people that are questioning the validity of preaching the word of God because there are so many that aren't accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. That It appears that in our technological day in which we live that somehow the, the gospel just isn't effectual anymore. It, it, it just doesn't have the same kind of power that it, it did in generations before. In our technological modern age in which we live, we need something else. We need to have some kind of other methodology if people are going to be reached and be saved. It's an antiquated view. It's, it's outmoded to be trusting in the authority and the power of the word of God. We need to understand. Not everyone is going to believe. And there are periods of time in which God works so that there are great awakenings, like in the renewal period of our early establishment of, of, of our nation in the late uh, 1600s, early 1700s, the, the great awakening in New England states. There was the Reformation. There have been periods of time, nation of Israel... There has always been a, a flow and an ebb when it comes to the spirits working and bringing people to Christ. The scripture refers to it in the book of Timothy as, as being in season and out of season. Preach the word, in season and out of season. We are out of season when it comes to the gospel. We are out of season when it comes to people placing their faith and trust in Christ. Last, two weeks ago, I said that... that there are diminishing numbers of Christians in America. I take no solace in that, but what's the answer? Preach the gospel. There is no other answer. There is no other solution. There is no more effectual way. In fact, if you abandon the gospel, there is no hope for salvation. Then there is no answer at all. Don't think because people don't come to faith that there is a problem with the gospel or a problem with the word of God. Understand, it was never God's promise or intention that everyone would believe. These things are in the hands of God. We can't bring people to faith, but we can bring the gospel to them. We can bring the word of God to them and the word of God is what's going to make the di di distinction and difference. 
Lastly, we reach the wrong conclusion when we decide the gospel is no longer effectual because we fail to see as many people being saved as, as we think ought to be saved. The fault is not to be found in the message. The fault is to be found in the heart of the recipient. There is no remedy to the obstinate rejection of the gospel other than the grace of God. Understand that that is the difference. Why did we come to faith? It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God that when we heard the gospel, we believed. And you want to know about grace? You want to know the goodness of God? Let me just ask you. How many of you heard the gospel more than once before you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. You heard the gospel, good and high. You heard the gospel more than once. Look around. That's the vast majority. That's the vast majority. Praise God for the faithfulness of those who continually gave forth the truth of God's word. Paul converted on the road to Damascus, who stood by and watched uh, Stephen martyred. And the clothes were laid at the apostle Paul's feet, then Saul, then not an apostle. And he persecuted the church. But eventually, he came to faith. Don't write people off just because they have not yet made a profession of faith. Don't write your children off. Don't write your relatives off. Don't write your neighbors off. And don't think that they're so beyond the pale that they could never, ever come to faith. Paul says that I'm an example. I'm a testimony. Who would have ever thought that Paul would come to faith? Somebody that was so entrenched in his beliefs Someone who was so zealous and dedicated in absolutely trying to put out the gospel. Those four things that we talked about of rejecting, of being contrary, refuting, of killing the prophets, abolishing the altars. Paul, persecutor of the church, on the road to Damascus, trying to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth, comes to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. That is what we proclaim. That is what we put our trust in. God's word will not return void, but will accomplish that until it has been sent. God's word is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Let us never forsake our confidence in the word of God and the gospel. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, let us rejoice in the goodness of God, the grace of God in saving us. We who rejected, we who refused, but he did a work in our hearts through the word of God, through the gospel, and brought us to faith in him. Anyone else? anyone else. That's a part of the plan and purpose of God. Indiscrutable to us. We can't explain it. We can't fathom it. And yet our confidence is the gospel accomplishes God's purpose and will. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you for the gospel, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for entrusting the gospel to us. Lord, how can they, how can they believe without hearing? How can they hear without someone being sent? Today we find that there are many who have heard. There are many who people have been sent to. And there may be someone sitting here this morning who has heard time and time and time again the good news of the gospel, who don't need it explained, who understand it, understand it thoroughly, could explain to their own children how to be saved, and yet never, ever given their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that you still haven't placed your saving faith in Jesus Christ, turned your life over to him, acknowledge your sinfulness and desire for a new life through Christ, may today be that day. If you desire to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you raise your hand this morning? I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want to pray for you. You have never, ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Raise your hand quickly. Lord, I, I pray for us to be persevering in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. May we never lose confidence in the power of God's word to save. Uh, may we not give up on our relatives. May we not give up on our friends. May we not give up on our enemies. May we not give up on the truth of your word. But uh, Lord, may we steadfastly proclaim the gospel, trusting in that and that alone to bring people to faith. And Lord, we, we leave it into your hands. Uh, oh God, work in association with your wisdom and power and might. And may we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.